Christian Nolan. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. It was one of those nights where you, I don't know, I felt like I was just waiting for the sun to come up so we could, we could leave. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Helena Bruni-Peters. Have you ever visited a place that really gave you the creeps? This week, we're going on a road trip, sharing stories of spooky places all around the country. Here's MJ. So me and my sister Jess are in the Blue Mountains, yeah? And we're visiting the Janolan Caves. And there's no public transport in or out of this valley. And it's surrounded by this network of ancient limestone caves. And we're staying overnight in this 1800s hotel called Caves House. It's super old and it has a ballroom and a grand dining room. But we're sitting down for dinner in that giant dining room. First thing I definitely remember is seeing the heavy tapestry curtains moving in the wind, of which there was none. No air conditioner, no windows open. You and I both started feeling a little heebie-jeebie. And I jumped on Reddit. The one that I remember particularly was someone who'd only worked there for a couple of weeks and they woke up to the feeling of being tucked into their bed, like made into their bed very, very tightly. Soon the waiter brings us the bill and a business card. I can't remember what the text said to save my life, but it was something very ominous um, about your stay being with you forever or something along those lines. I don't remember perfectly. The card said, magic happens here. Stay and it will for you. After dinner, we go snooping around the hotel and we find things like... This unattended bar with a flickering light. They looked like they'd been used, but there was nobody there. There was one empty room with a fireplace roaring. Pipes were making noises. And then there's this one hallway. I feel like it had a bit of a breeze and there was just like some tape across the hallway. It was like a small wing that had been entirely sectioned off. I remember really distinctly not wanting to go down there. It was all sort of starting to feel like it was closing in. We decide to go to bed. It's futile. Horrible. It was absolutely horrible. I dream about a blazing fire and I wake up to this low, growling sound. Did I dream that? And Jess? I woke up in the middle of the night to hear like a book slamming down on what sounded like a book slamming down on hardwood floor. I remember waking up in the morning and realising that the floors were carpeted. As soon as it's light, we pack our bags and we get in the car. And then we're driving through the fog out of this valley at the crack of dawn when we've had the worst sleep of our lives. And there's this pig eyeballing us. Of course, we saw the black pig on the side of the road that seemed to bid us farewell um, and physically felt a massive amount of relief once we had left. Oh my goodness, and I almost forgot the photos we took. Orbs, orbs everywhere, all floating around your little head.
That was All the Best Supervising Producer, MJ Bakewell. In our next story, Danny stays in the oldest house in Mudgee, which turned out to be just as creepy as it sounds. Late last year, my family gathered in Mudgee, Wiradjuri country. We were there to scatter my grandma's ashes in the river. She grew up in Mudgee, and I still have family in town, but with the number of us coming up from Sydney, we needed accommodation. So, I convinced my mum to book a pretty unique Airbnb. An Airbnb that, according to the listing, is the oldest house in Mudgee. When we first arrived, everyone was excited by the novelty and old-timey charm of the house. The garden was particularly amazing. There were a bunch of rose bushes neatly arranged all along the driveway. Around the side was a kidney bean-shaped swimming pool, just like the ones in the movies. And the grand centerpiece of it all was a huge marble sculpture water fountain. Can we go for a swim? Is it the pool? <laughs> Above the giant wooden front door was a decorative glass panel inscribed with the words Bleak House, which was kind of ominous. Inside, there were more marble sculptures, fancy-looking vases, and all the kind of knickknacks you generally find in an antique shop. Actually, this one has a creepy photo. <laughs> a creepy photo. This. I don't know if I'll be able to sleep this one. Yeah. Look, she's just um, looking a bit sad, that's all. As pretty as the house was, though, there was something a little bit weird about it. You think it's creepy? You think the house is creepy? Yeah, of course it is. This house is haunted, man. It's like a settler house in town. From my quick Google search, I found out that Bleak House is named after the Charles Dickens novel and was built around 1860. It belonged to an early settler family called the Blackmans. They sold it in 1901 and through the last century, it was a school, boarding house, hostel, bed and breakfast, and of course, Airbnb. I asked Sue, my cousin who lives in Mudgee, what she thinks about Bleak House since she'd been inside before. And she said she definitely wouldn't want to stay the night and that there were spots in the house where the energy just felt unpleasant. As we settled in, I was starting to see what she meant. I felt it too, this weird, uncomfortable feeling. The more we spent time there, the more I became 
a bit obsessed with the idea that the house was haunted. We even went around checking the cupboards. And turns out that Bleak House isn't the only building in Mudgee with a creepy energy. Sue told me about some strange things that have been happening where she works at the Mudgee Museum. Another very old building in the town, which has served a few different functions over the centuries. Very interesting, that building. What, it's eighteen. 50s, 60s, it was an old uh, colonial inn, um, West End pub. It became a boarding house, I know, in the 1900s. And is that when that guy died? Is that when it was a boarding house? Yes. Sue told me about one particular man who they know died in the museum while it was a boarding house. A very tall man with a long black coat and top hat. So tall, in fact, that when he died in one of the upstairs rooms, his body had to be lowered over the balcony because it was too difficult to get him down the stairs. Yes, that tall gentleman with the tall black hat and long black coat, who I believe was a black man, Blackman. I remembered that name. That's the family who originally owned Bleak House. Wait, so the man who this died in Mudgee Museum lived here? At some stage, I believe. So this man who had suffered a pretty degrading death in the Mudgee Museum was a former resident of Bleak House. Maybe this could explain the eerie feeling both buildings. Sue told me it's hard to verify all these old stories, and I'm definitely not saying any of this is factual. But there was a particular day when a woman from a spiritualist church visited the museum, and what she saw does seem to confirm the story of the tall man in the long black coat and top hat. She said there are some people here who want to tell their stories and she was quite agitated, I'd have to say. She said, there is a gentleman standing beside me now and she described that tall black hat, long black coat, very tall, very thin. Um, And he's telling me and she was telling us, as he told her his story he was telling us and the the one thing I remember is that he wanted to say that he was abused that was mainly what his story was about how he'd been abused as a child and a young man and it's interesting I used to hear we'd be sitting in the office and we'd hear this shuffling coming down you know where the corridor leads up to the office yeah there was movement coming along that corridor and we all felt that movement Um, but since she's come and told his story we haven't felt it 
And we, we have a theory that he was waiting for someone that he could tell his story to, and now he's moved on. And the tall man in the black coat and top hat isn't the only ghostly presence that's been felt in the museum. There's also a woman and a child who were there. And we think, you know, we've had, uh, probably since I've been working there, we would have had at least a dozen people who pop their head in the office and say, has anyone else reported that they've had a little push on the stairs? <laughs> and I've had it. Um, and it's, it's not malicious or aggressive. It's just almost playful, I'd have to say. Um, and quite a few people have felt that. And we think it's the child. This lady who I, this from the Spiritualist Church who I, I found really interesting, um, we went walking around the whole premises to see what she felt. And I do remember when we were down in the yard and she said, there's a face up in that window. And, I, and she said, it's a young child's face keeping an eye on things. I've never really spent a great deal of time thinking about ghosts and wouldn't say I'm a super spiritual person, but something about Bleak House and talking to Sue ignited my belief in something. I don't know how to articulate it exactly. Energies, spirits, ghosts, vibes, I don't know, but something. The story of the tall man in the black coat creeps me out, but there's also something maybe a little comforting about the idea that if for some reason after death you can't rest in peace, a living person could come along and help you to tell your story or to complete unfinished business, allowing you to pass on peacefully. And maybe there's also just a part of me that wants to believe the people I love who have died aren't really gone forever. We gathered in Mudgee to scatter my grandma's ashes and I don't know, maybe my sudden interest in ghosts had something to do with not really wanting to come to terms with the fact that she's gone. That was All the Best production manager, Danny Stewart. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Helena Brony-Peters. This week, we're going on a trip sharing scary stories from all over Australia. Our next stop, Glen Rowan. Up in northeastern Victoria, about 15 kilometres from Wangaratta, it's a little dusty one-street town called Glenrowan. It's got a couple of pubs, a bakery, a post office, the usual. But it doesn't take you long to realise what this town is really famous for. 
See, this is Ned Kelly country. And everything you see around reminds you of that. Glen Rowan was the site of the siege and capture of the Kelly gang in 1880. And the reason I came here was because I wanted to check out one place specifically. Ned Kelly's Last Stand. In his book about Australia, Bill Bryson had said that he had never seen, quote, anything so wonderfully, so delightfully, so monumentally bad as Ned Kelly's Last Stand. So I knew I had to check it out. Welcome to Glen Rowan. Ned Kelly has taken his place in Australian history as our only true folk hero. The events you're about to witness actually occurred and are amongst the great historical events in history. So that most historical event in history was going to be recreated in the form of an animatronic show. You get to see these crude robotic figures whose frozen faces glow in the dark and who play some stilted recorded dialogue every once in a while. It's the kind of thing you might see in a Disneyland show. Except this is not Disneyland. And the story they're telling is no fairy tale. Things begin in a train station where, for some reason, we meet this wizard who can time travel and control the weather. It's too late now for all of you. Lightning! Then we move on to a saloon of some sort with scurrying rat puppets and a drunken robot who's passed out on a barrel projectile vomiting. After that, you move outside where they recreated a whole gunfight with the police. And then a big fire. And things end in a way that I doubt any other animatronic show does. With a hanging. That's right. The last thing you see before leaving for the gift shop is a pair of limp feet dangling from the ceiling. This is definitely not Disneyland. That was all the best supervising producer, Daniel Simo. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Helena Baroni Peters. At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pay you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. For our final story, we're revisiting a spooky tale which we aired back in 2018. When Sam discovered her hometown of Canberra, has a very haunted history. Odd incidents. Seeing people who were not there, often in period dress. Sound illusions, poltergeist activity, things seeming to move spontaneously of their own accord. 
a lot of people think that Canberra doesn't have ghosts because you know it's a modern city, it's a, a new city. You know, there's no ghosts here, but there's actually more reports of hauntings in Canberra per capita than anywhere else in Australia. So you could say Canberra is the ghost capital of the whole country. This week, I went to Canberra to see my family. Sometimes when I go back, it can feel like a bit of a ghost town. But it turns out I'm just not looking hard enough. My name is Tim the Yowie Man. Bit of a strange name, I know. But I look for unusual happenings in and around Canberra. That's why I'm called the Yowie, because the Yowie hairy ape-like creature. But I also uh, dabble in the paranormal. I became the Yowie man I don't know, 25 years ago or something and I was focused on looking for Yowies, you know, these Bigfoot type creatures and I guess that's a bit out there, a bit unusual, uh, it's a bit of the uh, unknown, the, the unexplained and in doing that I started to meet a lot of people that were into ghosts and I became more and more fascinated in, in ghostly happenings and actually on a dinner at a little country town called Bungendore, uh, not far from Canberra. Uh, about 20 years ago, I was sitting in the restaurant and I actually saw a ghost. It was my, my first ghost. It was this man literally running. Uh, he was in like 1930s type clothing and he ran straight down the corridor of this, this old building called the Carrington and through a locked door. Uh, it was definitely a ghost. I wasn't drinking or taking illicit substances. It was something which I could not explain and I thought people just made them up or... You know, some people, you know, just a bit crazy. But after that encounter, I thought, you know, there's more to ghosts than meets the eye. I want to go and explore. For example, one of my favourites is uh, there's a goat, you know, Canberra's known for politics, yeah? One of the, uh, and when you think of politics, you think of prime ministers many people realise that Canberra is actually home to the ghost of an ex-Australian Prime Minister. His name's Ben Chifley. He, uh, he lived at a hotel called the Currajong uh, in the 1940s and he, when he was there, he actually decided to live there rather than the lodge because he wanted to save money for the government. And he, he actually lived in a room, basically back then it was a, um, a glorified backpacker hostel. So he, the Prime Minister shared a bathroom with other guests. Anyway, he's in this hotel and he, he suffered a fatal heart attack in 1951. Fatal heart attack means, of course, he died. He died in, that, in a particular room upstairs. And ever since, people that have gone to stay at the hotel or those that work there say in that room, sometimes you can actually experience the ghost of Ben Chifley. And he manifests himself in the form of a, a grey-suited man and he's pointing towards Old Parliament House. And that's not the only haunting in our nation's capital. There's a location called the Air Disaster Memorial, which, as the name implies, a plane crashed there in the, in the early 1940s, killing 10 people. And it's a location which is in a pine forest, so it's spooky to start with. And whenever anyone got a, their licence in Canberra for, you know, 20, 30 years, you were dared to go to the Air Disaster Memorial. Can you hang out there without being spooked? And so on my tours, I take people there. It's now behind three locked gates, but we get in and 
on a number of occasions on tours, people have actually seen the burning, the image of a burning airman running through the forest. Uh, particularly spooky. We've had one occasion where someone had to drive all the way out of the forest, which is no mean feat. It's a fair way in to drop this person back down at the road because he couldn't hack being in the forest. He was just going, he was in tears, he was hysterical, he was just so overwhelmed with, with sadness of, of what happened there. Another place where um, things happen quite, quite regularly is when I do tours at the National Film and Sound Archive. And uh, I think on about five or six tours in a row last year, we had people really ill uh, that were overcome with some sort of, they said, some sort of um, uh, feeling of, of dread and they actually had to leave the tour. And it was five tours in a row and it, we can't really understand why that happened, but it all happened in the same spot in the basement. Meet Anne Mackay. Uh, my formal job title is Education Coordinator for the National Film and Sound Archive. Uh, that's though I like to say that um, by day I teach the nation's youth about our audiovisual collection, uh, but uh, much to my delight by night I actually get to show uh, locals and interstate visitors uh, the kind of spooky ghoulish history of the building that was once the Institute of Anatomy. This building was originally built to house the anatomy collection of Sir William Mackenzie. According to Anne, his collection had 150 sets of human remains, eventually including his own. Um, and Mackenzie, in more kind of creepy history to the building, uh, Mackenzie was so devoted to the institution that he created that he actually chose to be interred in the building itself behind this very plaque. And he's just behind there. He's actually interred in the wall, yes. And the family have checked that, I believe, on uh, they verified it on no less than two occasions. Um, so uh, we also have other little markers to his sort of worshipful relationship to science in the uh, busts of various great scientists that we see around the wall and in more creepy history, um, two of them are in fact death masks, so casts of the faces of the scientists taken after they had died. With death masks and the founder interred in the walls, maybe it's no surprise that this place has a creepy reputation. The National Film and Sound Archive is reportedly one of the most haunted buildings in the country. A number of staff members have had mysterious encounters. Here's Torsten Kading, the curator of Broadcast and Sound. I was working back late uh, one evening with one of my colleagues who went to the toilet. Uh, lovely old toilet, some of the most beautiful toilets in Canberra, actually. Um, and um, was convinced that um, I was talking to him while he was on the toilet. Um, so he came back out and back into the office and continued the conversation that we'd been having um, whilst he was um, in the cubicle uh, and I didn't have an idea of what he was talking about and I said no I wasn't anywhere anywhere near there I've been here the whole time uh, and he just went white as a sheet and um, and went home very quickly. Certainly to the extent that I've had odd experiences that didn't seem immediately explicable, quite a few of them have happened in this corner of the building, um, uh, particularly trolleys seeming to spontaneously move themselves into the positions I needed them in and so on in the basement corridor. And this elevator is uh, famed for being, uh, rather than in any way, uh, I suppose, terrifying in its, in its odd nature, it's famed for being... Uh, a rather helpful elevator, so staff who have arms full of things and can't reach to press the button, it will, obviously, it will often spontaneously appear and open uh, and so forth. 
and then took me downstairs to the sub-basement level of the building. The regular basement, we've had to come down a further flight of stairs. Um, and actually today it is used for storage of some of the heritage items. I'm afraid there's not a light in here, I don't think, so you just need to let your eyes adjust a little bit. Um, but you get that kind of musty smell off it, it's certainly very evocative. Um, and you can see there's kind of the sump and everything in the corner still. And these are actually the remnants of the old stage in what is today our theatrette. It's always been a theatre of sorts. It's heritage listed, um, but we also we keep the grill itself still in the theatrette um, because it is associated with one of the more famed ghost stories, which is actually associated with the area I work in by day, which is the education section, uh, because for many years now that theatre has been used to host school excursion groups for education programs here and uh, there are reports uh, across many years from students from different schools from different parts of the country uh, who should have no way of knowing one another uh, have often become sort of uh, excited and distracted and until uh, the presenter delivering the program has had to kind of stop and ask them what the problem is and they've reported seeing a little girl waving um, from out behind the grill underneath the stage. Now, since the grill was removed, uh, she hasn't been seen there anymore, but you can't actually see into the underneath of the stage. But I believe when they, uh, our facilities team tell us that when they went under there to do to do some work under the stage, um, there was a crawl space because of the old kind of air conditioning manifold. It was one of the first buildings, I believe the first government building in the country ever to be fitted with air conditioning, though it was non-functional at this point. So it wouldn't really explain the phenomenon. But there was a gap that um, really no grown man could have fitted into. None of the men who were there to do the work could fit into it, but they could kind of spy down it. And it was a channel that would have fitted someone no larger than a child um, of about the age the little girl who's seen is reported to be. And all through that channel they found things like uh, little troll dolls and girls' hair ties and things of that order. So the sorts of uh, property you might expect um, a child to collect. So it's one of the more disturbing um, stories and also in one of the more corroborated in that there have been a lot of independent sources who have reported seeing her there. If I was a ghost, I'd want to show people that ghosts are real, as in they are the remnants of a living person that was once, you know, around on Earth. But no ghost seems to be able to do that. You, you, as a ghost, you want to be able to prove that that you are that particular um, uh, ghost of a, of a person, and so I, I try and do that. But I'm sure a lot of others try and do that, but doesn't seem to happen so maybe in the ghostly world you can't do that that story was produced by samantha groff alison chan was the supervising producer all the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present all the best is made at fbi radio on gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonarung lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramundi lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun. 
and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Emma Pham is our social media producer and Lydia Yosefova is our community and events coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helena Veroni-Peters. Thanks for listening.